Hi, this is Nancy Earle, and welcome to Nancy's Psychic View on the High Road to Humanity. And today I have one of my favorite people here. Marie D. Jones is back on the High Road. And welcome back to the show, Marie. Well, thank you for saying that. It's good to be back. Well, it's true. You're so interesting. She always has really interesting stuff. <laughs> um, this is a cool book. I know I always say this, you guys, but I don't have people on here that don't have really great books. And Hers is the afterlife book, and I'm holding it up if you're watching me on YouTube. It's Heaven, Hell, and Life After Death, and it's by Marie D. Jones and Larry Flaxman, so we need to give him some credit here. We're going to be talking about heaven. We're going to be talking about hell. We're going to be talking about reincarnation and all these cool things, you know, what happens after we die. Um, I've got questions on cremation. I mean, she covers so much in here and there's pictures. I love that there's pictures, illustrations in here. I think it's so classy. But let me read a little bit, if you guys don't know who she is, about Marie. So Marie D. Jones is a fully trained Um, a disaster response uh, prepared member of community emergency response teams. That's really cool. CERT through FEMA and the Department of Homeland Security. And she is a licensed ham radio operator, which I think is awesome. She's the author of over 15 Hmm. nonfiction books, um, The Cutting Edge Science, The Paranormal Conspiracies, Ancient Knowledge, Unknown Mysteries, including Visibles, Inc., Press, Demons, The Devil, and Fallen Angel. She's had so many books, you guys. She's been on all these cool show she's she writes for a paranormal (laughs) magazine she's been on coast to coast i mean you have quite the background you know you've done it all now you know why i'm so tired (laughs) (laughs) yeah i bet how many shows have you been on probably thousands so this was several years ago that i sat down with my son and we were trying to figure it out by averaging the number of shows that i was doing every year and i was doing a lot more than and uh, it's over 2,500 at this point. I haven't I haven't been doing as many because I have not been writing the not like I was doing two nonfiction books a year, so the radio was constant. And now it's and um, like a lot of the shows for this book, Larry is doing whatever time that he has, he does those shows. But it was over 2,500 podcast shows, big shows, um, you know. Yeah, well, you're a wealth of knowledge. Everybody wants you. Yeah, I mean, you you met Shirley MacLaine. Um, I did her show three times, so oh. we met over over the at the time it was the uh, Skype. But okay. I also met her once, um, just very briefly, when I think I was in my twenties at Bodhi Tree Bookstore. When I lived in Los Angeles, that was like her, she liked to go there and buy books. Yeah. And I just said, hi, you know, I'm a huge, huge fan of yours. And I was buying her book out on a limb. So whatever year that came out. um, Yeah. And I've been on coast to coast a lot. I know. Um, So it's kind of tapering down now that I've, I've actually done over 30 books now. And I have and I read of, that they need to change your bio. Yeah, I know, I know. It's like I think they get sick of me updating it. No, I think it's but this one I I, know, I just want to brag a little bit because man, you cover a lot. Well, that was always the purpose. Every time I would write a nonfiction book, if you asked me to write it on um, any given subject, I wanted always to make sure that it was comprehensive and had everything you could possibly think of. I know that people don't have a lot of money to go blow on books, 
So I always felt like, well, you know, if you buy one of the books that has my name on it, you're going to not hopefully have to buy a lot of others. I'm going to try to cover. And it's really hard because like the subject here, it's really, you know, life and death. And so a lot of things that people might not normally put in an afterlife book, I felt like if we don't really strive to understand death, and what happens when we die and how we treat death in this country and in other countries. I felt like we're not really going into um, an examination of the afterlife with all the, the I don't want to say ammunition, that's the wrong word, but with all of the um, knowledge that we could. Information, yeah. Well, know. yeah. You said the big question, of course, everybody asks is, why am I here? Yeah. Are we alone in the universe? And is there life after death? And that's true. Everybody <laughs> asks those questions, right? Yeah. And they all are kind of tied into the great unknown. <laughs> no. Well, and I learned a lot from your book. Okay. I, oh, <laughs> I really did. I mean, and I didn't even get through all of it. I got through most of it. You could see on my little um, page I, I do the corners. People probably hate that. I, I know. That. I still do too. And I get yelled at by all these. You still read print books. Uh, but you know what? To be straight <laughs> with you, I mean, look, I have to go through it and I underline and I, I need the book. I'm an old fashioned girl. I like yeah. the book. You know? I have about 2000 books on my Kindle that are just sitting there. Right. Um, and I, you know, and I just still like the idea that I can, that this is, this is something that long when computers are gone or there's an EMP and nobody can get on their <laughs> They can <laughs> read your book. I candlelight people. That's so funny. It's you true know? though. It's absolutely <laughs> true. I went yesterday and bought extra candles. Anyway, I don't know why. I just felt the need. So. I started to say you were um, you talk about hospice and I didn't know this. This is so interesting. I'll check this out. Dying was considered a failure of the medical system at the time. So those who were terminally ill were not welcome in hospitals. So until hospice was born, I did not know that at all. Yeah. And it's amazing because it's something that's almost a given today that when your loved one or yourself gets to a certain point in the journey, hospice steps in. And I think, you know, if you look at our medical world, um, it's I'm not a huge fan of current medicine and I'm not a huge fan of modern Western medicine at all. The way that death is treated, it's take this pill, that one doesn't work here, take five more. We're going to prolong your life, but it's not going to be a good life. It's going to be an awful life, but we're going to prolong it as much as we can. And how much money can we make off of you while we do that? Exactly. And they never get to the root of the problem because they don't yeah. want to get to the root of the problem because if they did, then you'd be cured and you wouldn't be worth any money to them. Isn't that? Well, fun? and the other thing too is that the way that we treat our elderly in this in the western world it's not that way in the eastern world and in, still in a lot of european countries where you have multi-generational families that still live together and take care of each other but you know it's really sad here in the western world once you hit a certain age you're, you're invisible you're sort of removed from society you become a problem to your family sometimes even um we don't take care of our own no. And, and the funny thing is, is that the people that are doing that 
haven't quite figured out yet that they're going to be that same age if they're lucky to live that long. Mm -hmm. So they're perpetuating something that is going to come back on them. And, you know, I, I feel like when you, we look at other countries and the way they treat death and their elderly with so much respect and we, we laugh at them like, Oh, I don't, I don't. Yeah. No, not at all. But it's like, oh, they're so third world or whatever. Really? Well, and that's what we need to change. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you. I want to say a couple things. And I said this on the show. I hope I hate that I'm repeating myself, but I was watching TV, the news, uh, I guess it was day before yesterday, and they were showing this woman, she was in her 60s, and this young guy was beating her with her cane in the subway. I don't know if you saw this in New York. Oh no. And it's just like, there is no respect for the elderly. And, you know, I have to be honest with you and tell you that the most interesting people, of course, I'm an oddball, but most interesting people to me have always been the elderly because they've lived so long. They have so many stories to tell you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I also heard that the baby boomers are the biggest, you know, make up the biggest chunk of the population right now. And I mean, I'm, I'm in my, in my early sixties, I'm 61 and I've been so lucky to live through the 1960s, the seventies, you know, the 80, I mean, I've lived through these incredible. 80s were the best years. (laughs) They were. And so I talked to young people today in their twenties, thirties, and they do not have a clue about how rich that you know the decades before they came along were and um and i feel so good and a lot like you said a lot of the people that i really relate to and and talk to have that experience to base their lives on now well that's and what we wisdom. <laughs> yeah well exactly that's how we learn and that's what it needs to come yeah. down to and that's why there needs to be such a respect you know let's talk about some of this stuff you talk about I mean, she covers everything, you guys. Uh, embalming, obituaries. Uh, oh, I calls. know. Now, I yeah. want to, okay, so I won't get into everything, but burial versus cremation. Okay. Now, here's one thing I, I should have known, but I didn't. That the Catholic Church prohibits prohibited creation, um, but later changed its policy to be cremated after funeral rites are performed right. on the body. So they wouldn't let it. They wouldn't let it do it. But but the other thing is the enviro- environmental, I can't talk there, environmental effects of cremation versus burial. Can you, what yeah. did you find out? What's, what'd you, what'd you find out about this? Tell the other. Well, you know, we got to bury all these bodies somewhere. Right. So there's that environmental problem. But with cremation, there's also the process of it, which creates a lot of pollutants. And and what do you do with all the ashes? And I think there's pros and cons to both. And I know that there are companies, and I think I mentioned, I I don't know if I mentioned the name of companies that are trying to, oh, better forests in California, where they're trying to do more sustainable or environmentally friendly cremations. Um, like in that case, you can choose a tree in one of their forests and you turn it into a memorial. I think that's a great idea. Um, but bodies have to be buried. They, they rot. Now, the only good thing about that is that they, it's organic. But what about the coffin? The coffin? Exactly. They're buried in 
coffins that are, you know, not necessarily biodegradable, like the body. And you've got to think about how many people die every year. So, but then with cremation, I know that a lot of countries, and I know here in the United States, um, a lot of states have said no to spreading ashes. Like when I grew up, I remember you could throw ashes in the water, you could go to the ocean, out in the woods, wherever the- I've done it. (laughs) Yeah, and now it's like a big no-no. And I guess I can understand if everybody did it. it you know, it's pollutant oh, in the water. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Let me just say this. My, when my sister died. I have to be honest. My sister died. Um, I mean, there's only it only fills up an urn this big. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so it's not that many ashes. And then I'll just bring this up because I want to know what you're feeling on. So I was telling, mentioned it to my daughter. I don't know the other day about how I spread my sister's ashes down at Big Bend because it's a beautiful park and there's the Rio Grande and it's green. And so nobody knew I did it. I just, so everybody got a little piece, you know, we all got a little right, piece yeah. of her. And so that's where I put, and then my daughter <laughs> says to me, I don't want to be broken up like that. I thought, isn't that bizarre? What does it make if if it's just your ashes? I, you know, I think I know some families that take the urn and they put it up on the mantle of the fireplace or whatever. Um, And if you, I think it's mainly like if you go out into public parks or yeah, and it's also the water that you know that I can see if everybody did that, and I'm sure a lot of people still do. Yeah, and I watching i think it was a, a golden or some show on tv where they spread remains on a golf course oh wow big trouble because you know golf courses are beautiful a lot of people like to golf but yeah it's um though it, it's not the bodies necessarily that create a problem it's the coffins and a lot of coffins are not made out of wood right. they're plastic they're metal and I have to be honest, I have a friend who cannot find her mother-in-law's ashes where the urn went. So I oh, mean, no. that happens too. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so let's I move know. on. Do with me what you will. <laughs> I'm going to tell my son. They're not there anymore. Well, and let's talk, I want to talk about Halloween just because it's coming up. Um, I'm from New Mexico, so I should be able to pronounce this properly. Dia, Dia de yes. los day of the dead and i've been to santa fe where they you know burn uh lizobra the big tall you know man or man he's yeah. he's effigy yes and so but the, the thing is halloween is based on an ancient uh pagan belief about life and death and they believe that the veil between the living and the dead is the thinnest then and that they're right. celebrating they're celebrating the dead i think that's interesting yeah. And I live in San Diego and we have a lot of, you know, big Hispanic community. And so okay. our um, Dia de los Muertos celebrations are as big as the Halloween. Um, and, it, you know, wow. it's funny because the Halloween celebrations that we have are more have become more about the kids and getting candy and dressing up. And I, I think a lot of people don't realize the the roots or the origins of all of those sort of um, the symbolism behind Halloween, and yet the Hispanic community, they're more directly tied in to the whole death and life and how the two worlds yeah. overlap and how you honor the dead. Yeah. And I think that's good because in a, in a place like San Diego where you have, you know, different populations, white, black, whatever, we learn about how other 
um, communities and other traditions think about death and their dead. Oh, yeah. I came, yeah. I grew up in Ohio and Michigan. I would have never known about this if I hadn't lived in New Mexico. I grew up so in the Northeast. Years. I didn't have a clue. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, you know, it's you're exactly right. Yeah. It's really cool that we learn. Well, I want to talk about, um, let's get into some of this stuff. You have a whole lot about near-death experiences. You also yeah. talk about something that I had never really heard so much about, a little bit about, but pre-birth experiences. That is... So while I was doing the research on near-death stories and experiences, I ran across some accounts of pre-birth of people that remember um, and, and children a lot, uh, well, and children. how yeah. yeah, how some children are born in the first five or six years. They're rattling off all this stuff that can even be looked up and corroborated. And well, where does that come from? So it, it just proves that there is a loop, that it's not just, you know, you pop here once out of the ether, your form, you pop here, and then you die and maybe you have a life after that. Well, there have been lives before. So why would you not have similar visions and experiences of the pre-birth as well as the afterbirth? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I, that kind of surprised me too. And then I thought, well, that makes sense. Yeah, well, it did. and I didn't write this down, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but I was reading in your book um, about a man who was getting a CAT scan, and he died during the CAT scan, and they were able to check out his brain waves. Can you talk about that? Do you do you know what I'm there, talking about? Yeah, and there's been a, a lot of situations where people have been either having um, MRIs, brain scans, brain surgery. Okay. Um, they're epileptics and maybe they're undergoing some kind of treatment and they'll have experiences, either a near-death experience or visions or uh, out of body. And so, it, and then there've been a couple of researchers that started to realize they could perhaps trigger parts of the brain that were involved to create that. And one of them, I believe it was with um, deja vu. That's one of the biggest, um, I don't like to call it really a paranormal experience because I don't know that deja vu is. I think it's more of a consciousness thing, Mm -hmm. but there's been a lot of research where people who were having uh, brain surgery or grand mal seizures or uh, deep brain tissue manipulation would, would automatically go into a very intense deja vu episode. So what's interesting about that is, does that mean that near-death experiences are triggered by the brain? Or are they real things that involve, you know, parts of the brain that maybe during normal waking life are not really turned on and active? Because we don't want to be having this stuff happen 24-7. We wouldn't be able to function well, it, you put a lot of near-death experiences in your book. Yeah. In fact, there's a whole appendix that's all near-death experiences. Really interesting to me. And I want to know what you what you felt after you did all the research. I've all, I've interviewed a lot of people who've had near-death experiences. It seems there's so many commonalities. Yeah, and you can't write a book about the afterlife or life and death without getting into those experiences. And even though 
Yeah. You can't prove that they exist and, you know, using the scientific method in a laboratory setting. Right. Again, they have been triggered in clinical situations. But what really surprised me wasn't necessarily all the commonalities, because I, I kind of, you know, knew about knew. that. Yeah. But there were some that were really kind of off the wall and different. And well, tell us a couple. Do you mind? Oh, God. One that you think? Yeah, negative. So most people, when they have a near-death experience, they come out of it feeling empowered, very positive. They may not want to come back. Right. But they totally get it. And once they do, they have this whole new um, perception of, of themselves and of life. And the, they're experiencing joy a lot more because they know there's nothing to be afraid of when they die. But there were people that reported um, just total blackness. Uh, a sort of a suffocating, overwhelm, overwhelming blackness, a sense of evil, negative entities that they met up with. Um, so a lot darker stuff. And I, I don't know why. Yeah, I uh... you know, and and I don't I don't think any of the things that I included stated this, but it makes me kind of think, you know, was there were there drugs in their system that could have been causing some interactions in the brain when they had their near-death experience. But uh, in general, it's always the same. You know, you've got the tunnel, you've got the guides, the people that you loved, you've got the white light, you've got the almost Christ consciousness guide as you see it. Or as and the you love know. and the feeling the of warmth and love and security. Well, immersion. yeah, and then you don't want to come back, but you're told you're not done and you've got to go back. That's like the standard, but well, there are situations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to bring up one thing I saw. Oh my God. I saw it on TikTok. Actually, this guy was doing his near death experience. It was a young black man and he was talking with his grandfather and it was really interesting because he said, and I've never heard anybody talk about this. You're the first person that's ever said this about it. Mm -hmm. dark. He said he had a near death experience and it was like hell. And I had never heard anybody say that before. I had always heard people say, oh, no, I go to the light. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. There are beings. And he's like, <laughs> oh, no, this was dark. And it was there. It, there's a hell. And I've changed my ways. And he was coming on to tell people yeah. to change their ways because. And now it's interesting because I always think, OK, we have a loving creator. There really isn't a hell. That was kind of just made up to kind of scare people. But then it's interesting to hear that somebody says there is, but then that could be in their consciousness, Marie, right? Thinking, yeah. And I'm actually looking through and seeing some of the ones where people didn't see the norm or didn't experience the norm. But I thought what's interesting about what you just said, and I've been watching a lot of YouTube, and there's a ton of YouTube interviews with, if anybody's interested, just put in near-death experience. Yeah, there's a ton right now. I've noticed yeah. that too. Yeah. And, but then, you know, here's another one where he said, I was in a dark place with nothing around me, but I wasn't scared. It was totally peaceful. Okay. Yet somebody else might be immersed in darkness and feel like they're suffocating and it's hellish. And so I don't know if it has something to do with what's in your system at the time, your own physiology, your state of consciousness, your beliefs. Right. Um, do find interesting though is that a lot of people who don't believe in near-death experiences have actually had them. Yeah, so and then they the believe huge factor. <laughs> yeah. Now let's let's talk about that. Um, I want to talk about a couple of these because um, 
there was this this caught me in your book story of I think it's Lori uh, Raynaud. She was in France in 1868. She was born into a Catholic family. She insisted there's no heaven or hell or purgatory and that after death, people just reincarnate into different bodies. That's kind of brief and vague. <laughs> But that's what I mean. But that's I'll tell you why this hit me. I'll tell you why this hit me, because I'm on this thing right now. I want. So here's what I want to know, Marie. (laughs) Here's my big question. So what I figure and I I really want to know your opinion on this. So all the people I've interviewed and you got to remember, I've interviewed a lot and I, I know a lot and I'm intuitive And I have this feeling that, you know, we're here to learn and we learn and we keep reincarnating until we learn, keep reincarnating until we get it right. Right. (laughs) And we keep doing it and we keep doing it. And, you know, I've heard so many people say, this is my last lifetime. This is my last, last lifetime. Now, I've also heard that when you go and you go up, you have an option. You can say you can say, I don't want to be here. I don't want to reincarnate again. I want to go to a different place. I want to go to Venus or I want to go in a spaceship or I want to do this. But I think it all depends on what you've learned down on earth. If you get to go beyond because, okay, now here's, I just, let me get the rest of this out. I feel like this is a cycle. I feel like we're stuck in this cycle and I don't want to reincarnate again. So yeah. I want to know what you think about this. Well, what is the the Eastern is a samsara where you get off of the wheel of Yeah, I gotta get off the wheel, man. <laughs> but it yeah. seems like people that do that have really reached a much higher state of consciousness. But so you'll hear a lot of people say the life that you're living, you chose. You chose the people in it, you chose the challenges, all of this you chose. Right. Um, the, the misery, whatever. And I always felt like, well, if that's the point, then where is my free will? You know, can I change what I chose? Um, once I learn all this, what I, I die and then I got to choose a whole bunch more stuff. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. But yeah. I don't know. I feel like there's so much, I mean, there, you have, I, I don't necessarily know that it's evidence, but you have all the cases of people that remember past lives or they go through past life recall with, you know, hypnosis, children that remember details about past lives. And so maybe we do, but maybe like you said, you have a choice to sit one out. Or maybe when you die, you feel like I still have an addiction, you know, alcohol, or I still have a problem with trauma or uh, generational trauma, ancestral trauma, whatever, that I would like to work on. Yeah. And here's the really frustrating thing about this whole book. What? None of us are really going to know. I know. I know. (laughs) Are are we really able to come back and tell about it? Because with all of the paranormal stuff that, you know, I've been exposed to and yeah. I still feel like there's never really been proof of, you know, people say, oh, well, I communicate with the dead. I communicate with ghosts. Yeah, but- and I do. And so, I mean, I can tell you that I do and that I know and I can communicate. And so is that objective, experiential thing that you're really good at and, and maybe I'm not? Um, 
I think how in tune you are. I think it's like we were talking before the show. I'm really big into connecting. And I think the more you connect, it's just like anything else. It's we're, we're, we're like uh, radios and this is our antenna, dude. And I figure I got that. I'm getting the downloads from the source. Right. right? Right. And I'm going for the good, good energy and stuff. And it, it feels like it's so healing. And then I get information and I feel like it helps me grow as a person to be straight. With yeah. Yeah. Now here's, here's the biggest challenge for me with all of this is that a child that is born into just abject poverty and dies by the age of four, did that child choose that? Yes, and, I think yeah. so. I think and so. so I, it's hard for me and a lot of other people to wrap our minds around that, yes. to wrap our minds around the idea that 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 consciousness well, made the choice to not just for its own evolution, but possibly for the evolution else around, right. it, around that yeah. person, you know, for people that find this tragic and it propels them to want to do some good in the world for the family members that are um, affected by that death. And so, you know, you kind of have to build up on that one little concept that is hard for you to grasp and you can start to accept it like, oh, okay, okay. I still don't want children to die in poverty. There's still going to be that part of us that doesn't want that, but perhaps it is all a part of a plan that we we just don't grasp because we're only one small, we are a part of all of it, but we're it's like a hologram, you know, or like one little piece of it too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and like you were saying, I think it, a lot of this is karma. Like if I killed somebody in a life before, then maybe I, or if I maimed somebody, then I would right. come back in a wheelchair or something like that. Or maybe like you said, it's not so much that person, but the other person has to learn empathy. Yeah. What yeah. I mean. And so they're used as a tool. Maybe they agree before they came to be down. a victim of, of a crime or something. Yeah. yeah. And and I know that may sound crazy, but yeah. And if you exactly. look at it that like, way, you use that, but in the grander scheme of things, and, and if your consciousness knows that there's really no death, I could and, see ex- wanting to experiment with, okay, I, I'm going to be a victim of, of, crime in this life and I'm going to learn things that need to be, but I'm also going to serve as a catalyst for other people around me to learn from that experience. And I could see that. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really hard for a lot of people because they'll say things like, well, why can't we learn the lessons right now? If you, if you rape, if you kill, why can't you get finished right now? Because we really don't have a, a real good, you know, justice system or criminal Mm -hmm. system. Um, why is, why, why do we reap what we sow later? Yeah. I'm not sure, but, but again, if our consciousness transcends this one little lifetime, which is like a little parentheses, you know, (laughs) then it makes sense. I I think we're like trained to see things on such a tiny scale that we often don't see that huge, bigger picture that we are embedded. Yeah. 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 
Well, and we all have, and I want to talk, touch on soul contracts because that's what we're talking about here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're talking about a contract that we had with another person that we would come down and we would try to work things out that we couldn't have worked out in the past life, or maybe we did each other wrong before. So we're going to come back and try to do it right. And, and sometimes so, a group of people that you make a contract with or large groups of people that that's kind of mind blowing to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, there's something else I want to talk about that really hits me. And, and I, I don't know if I read this or if I had somebody on the show, but I want to mention this to you because you're so knowledgeable. You know, I I feel like there's different levels in heaven. OK, so mm-hmm. or wherever of consciousness. So wherever yeah. you're at, when you die, whatever you've gotten to, then you go here because that's where you're at. But then I think that people who just didn't get it or maybe did really wrong because there's a lot of nasty, evil people out there. Yeah. I don't think there's a hell. I want to know what you think about this. I think that they have to, um, they have to deal with their own um, sins or their own, whatever they did wrong, you know, on their own and, and deal with it in their own mind. And I think that's the hell. I, I totally agree with you because, you know, I've written a couple of books where I get into the history of the concepts of heaven and hell in terms right. of religions. And, and you can kind of see, I mean, they're all based on observations that we made when we were primitive and how, you know, stuff grew in the summer and then in the winter it was all dead and here it came back again in the spring. And so everything is sort of pagan in origin. So those concepts to me, they're fascinating because I think that even, you know, the Jewish, the Christian, the Eastern concepts of heaven and hell, if they even have one, you can see where they came from. They'll have a a common theme, but I feel like if somebody is doing really bad, awful things, and we call them evil in this lifetime. And I can think of a few. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wouldn't hell be for them yeah. having to repeat this, you know, not ever escaping whatever demons haunt them that make them do these awful things. Hell could be coming back as a victim of their own um, and, things that they did in the, in the life before. Right. And that, so right. if you go to this place where you're burned alive and punished, you haven't really learned anything. Yeah, I don't think that's it. Yeah. I think it's your. It, I think you have. You can't get it's to Groundhog that level. Day. <laughs> yeah, Groundhog Day. You're gonna, you're gonna still be an evil idiot in the next go round, or karmic, you know, retribution, karmic justice, whatever you want to call it. You are going to be on the flip side, mm-hmm. and that would be enough help. For me, like I, we talked about this before the show. I don't want to come back at this same level I'm on. Right. I don't want to, no, like I want it to be a little. (laughs) I don't think we do. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I don't think we do because I mean, I know you have, I can, I know because all the books you've written, I can tell by talking to you. And I know I've learned so much and I know you've learned so much. Yes. There's so, no way. I mean, we have to have elevated a little bit here, but <laughs> I mean, I'm hoping for it. But now you um, also, this was interesting. Her book's really interesting. You guys got to check this out. Okay. <laughs> you put in there, the word reincarnation comes from the Latin term to take the flesh again. Yeah. I mean, you're literally a consciousness or a spirit deciding, 
you know what? I'm going to go back down on Earth. Oh my right. gosh. And I'm going to, this time I'm going to be the astronaut that I wanted to be when I was, or I'm going to, you know, work on um, whatever. The, so that's sort of an admission that we are not the body, right. that we're something that comes into a body and leaves the body. And I, believe very strongly my father was a geophysicist he was a scientist we used to have a lot of talks about this stuff you know energy doesn't vanish it doesn't change his form his form within the system and he totally accepted a lot of paranormal ideas even though they couldn't be documented you know in a, in a with the scientific method blah 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 and so did a lot of his colleagues and they really were big on ufos let me just throw that out there um but he you know he was very much a believer that our body is yeah it's gonna ashes to ash dust to dust but the energy the animation the animated energy or that which animates us has to go somewhere right Okay, that doesn't end with the physical matter. And the matter doesn't mean that we end either. We simply become organic compost, you know, and stuff grows out of our... No, you're right, Marie. I tell you what, (laughs) when my father died... I wasn't there. I was in another state. And um, and this is the honest to God's truth. And he died. And I went and sat on the couch and I looked up and I saw him standing there and he was young. And he had a pair of jeans on and a short sleeve shirt. And he did the old wave like, I'm cool. I'm good. Yeah. Look at me yeah. now. And, you know, and so I know. And, and, you know, I do talk to the, you know, but my thing is, I feel like this is what I think. I think a lot of families are old families and they're old family yeah. money and they continue to reincarnate into the same families. Yeah. I mean, wasn't there, there's, you know what of, I'm saying? And yeah. so I think it's like a cycle. It's a cycle. You know, these contracts with, and your family members in your next life could be a, a spouse or a boyfriend or a best friend instead of a sister or a brother or a father or a mother. Right. But they're the same souls that are like, okay, right. we have a couple more contracts we need to work out here. Yeah. And I just, yeah. I don't know. It's almost like, yeah, I wonder if it's like that. Now, I want to know, um, I don't want to keep you forever, but through your research, you know, there, you talk, you do do, you do talk about nurses and a lot of their stories. I've talked to different yeah. doctors. You talk about the doctor in here that had, that wrote the book about um, his oh, new- yeah experience you know so i mean there are so many documented cases what was there any aha moments from the nurses and the doctors that you when you did your research that you really thought because the doctors and nurses see this all the time there is and uh one of the things that has always given me a lot of comfort is how so many of them say that at the moment of death there's a look of unless they're dying in, in extreme agony but uh, there's a look of peace that comes across their face, or sometimes they will say something like, I'm home, or, you know, they'll say the name of a loved one who had passed on. And that's hopeful. And a lot of people will say, well, that's just the brain, you know, chemicals. And well, even if it is, that's a really nice way to go out, you know, in, in peace. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are the people that are on the front lines of death and hospice workers, and they're not all depressed and committing suicide. They're they're 
talking about how this is, even though it's the great mystery, even to them, that it's probably not the great mystery that we should fear so much. Right. We and, should. and, you know, uh, my dog is sneezing. I have to, I have to bring this up before we cut off is that, so uh, I was at a family party and my brother and a couple of the other guys, they were talking about video games and they were talking about immortality. And my brother turned to me and he just said, if you could live forever, would you? And I said, no, <laughs> he said, me neither. And it just really struck me, you know, and live in this body. Conversation. Yeah. So we're, why are we so afraid of death? We are literally killing ourselves to live. We strive for immortality. Is that really what we want, though? I mean, I could see extending life maybe another 50 years. But beyond that, I think you hit a wall with consciousness and growth. And you want to know what is next. Right. You know? Right. And that's for Western people, for Westerners, you know, that's a really tough thing. A lot of people will go to every extent possible to to not die. I know it's crazy. <laughs> well, and I, I do have to bring up um, the angels because I have an angel that stands right next to me. And, you know, it's amazing. I ask her and she helps me and she helps my clients. And I know they're angels and I because she's there and I'm connected. And I know that when we die, we all have a guardian angel that takes us and goes with us. And I, I really I want people to be comforted by that and know. Yeah. I think. People feel like, well, how come I, you know, where's mine? And what they, don't, here. they don't think about is that that that's something that you have to have. You've got to connect. Awareness of you can't yeah. just say, you know, like appear before my eyes. If your consciousness is at a level that will not believe or accept that that's possible. And so they end up blaming the angel instead of their own conscious uh, well, level of this. Yeah. And that's your power or your higher wisdom, God, whatever the force, whatever you want to call it. There are so many people in the world that know that this is something that exists that they can lean on and get wisdom and intuition and guidance from. And there are probably equally as many who feel like they're just alone and they were thrown on this planet to fend for themselves. And there's no difference between any of those people. They're all humans. We're all the same, right? Except the level of consciousness. So you're right, Marie. You're exactly right. And when you get to, that's true, because I didn't always talk to my angel. It wasn't until I started to meditate and connect. Yeah. And then started to realize, and and it even took a while of her telling, like I would have a client and she would tell me all the information and it would just come to me from her. It wasn't from me. And that it's shocking. It's even shocking to me, you know, that she's there and that they're here to help us. You brought up a really good point. And I think it's one of the reasons why anxiety and depression rates are skyrocketing suicides. You know, we live in such an interconnected world now with social media and the internet and cell phones. We're always on online and people are not spending enough time alone in quiet contemplation. They're almost afraid to be alone. And, but that's where the connection is not just 
forged. I mean, I think that the connection is recognized right. to your own soul, spirit, heart, God, whatever you want to call it. But and we do have a lot of people that are figuring it out and meditating. Hey. And, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, going out in nature because nature is the great. Another nature. way. Yeah. 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 Um, but if you look around, people just seem so disconnected. Yet and angry. More and connected angry. than ever. Angry. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I don't know. zombies, like walking dead. You know? no, it's like, I'll tell you what, this is what I see. I went to the store yesterday. I'll just throw this out there. Cause I, I go out into the world. I got my light on. I put out my love <laughs> before I get out there, you know, good vibes. yeah, I'm having a good day. I'm in Walmart. All right. So I'm in Walmart and here comes this angry man with this angry look on his face in this car. <sighs> and I'm just like, Okay, I need to send him love and light. I need to send him love and light because he was just so, I mean, the look on this guy's face, it was unbelievable. Yeah. The anger, I couldn't believe it. But then I got in line and the cashier was so cool and happy. It's like the great divide right now. It is. Yeah. Night and day. But you are, you know, you're probably really vulnerable because I know I am yeah. to <laughs> other people's like empathic to yeah. other people's energy yeah. and that that can really do a number on your health physical and mental mm-hmm. so you have to kind of you know yourself. yourself yeah protection uh-huh. it's like going out into the war zone the battlefield sometimes it's true if you don't have that sort of you know centered grounded protection of your own spirit it, yeah, you come home and you just want to cry or kill somebody. Well, um, and yeah. I want to say that um, what's really helped me, and we, I know we got to get out of here pretty soon, but what's really helped me, Marie, is that I've had confirmation of this and I really feel it. Um, I think when you're a light worker and when you're connected with the divine source, you can say God, you can say source, you can say energy, whatever you want to say. When you're connected like that, you are divinely protected. Yeah. And I do feel, and that took me a long time too to realize that yeah. the yeah. people like yourself um, who are down here on this planet, really trying to make it a better place and contribute, you know, we are protected. We are divinely protected. And I also think we find each other. Yes. I mean, I can't tell you how many times just the last few weeks I've had people message me out of the blue with some obscure thing. And it's like, yeah. Oh, me too. You know, you find the people that are vibrating at the same level. Mm-hmm. And and that's really cool because it's like building your tribe. So you don't feel so alone. And you're combining all that good energy. You know, one person, like I love David, Dr. David Hawkins, Power Versus Force, one of my favorite books of all time, where he talks about how the consciousness level of a Christ or Buddha or Krishna can offset the lower consciousness levels of millions of people. Yes. So as enough people rise in consciousness and kind of come together, you, you feel like, Hey, we can offset a lot of the negative stuff going on. And that's where things like social media and Facebook and the internet is a good thing. Yes. So people feel like you're out there, you know, all alone in your light. Yeah. <laughs> <And> there's, <laughs> there's a lot of us out there. Right? I mean, that is like, well, we're not in a light bubble. We're in a light field. Yeah. And I'm now seeing the field around me and all the other people in it. And it's, you know, being able to try to hopefully welcome other people into that field. 
And I have said this a few times, and and it kind of hurts to say it, that there are some people I don't know that you could ever help rise in conscious awareness, that they have to have something happen to them that will do it. It's like in an alcoholic or an addict has to bottom out. You can't tell them, stop drinking, stop using. That has to be something that happens to them that makes that choice. But you can be a facilitator. You can be someone who inspires mm-hmm. that, you know, an example. Can, yes, an example. And so that's, yeah, that's I think what I think we're all doing. Yeah, I think so too. Well, that's what I'm hoping for. Me I'm too. <laughs> Marie, I, I got to tell you, this book came out this year. I mean, it did, yeah. how's it been doing? I mean, I'm sure it's done very well. There, it's funny because I have another a really good friend of mine, Nicole Strickland, who just released an afterlife book as well. And they're both doing really well because I like those three questions, you know, are we alone? Is there life after death? And what happened? Or uh, what's the other? Why are we here? <laughs> Why are we here? Yeah, I started to look for my notes. Yeah. Yeah. Interested. Every Whether you believe in this or not, you're going to want to see what other people believe in. I think it's a hugely popular topic, and I really would love to see people. The unknown is scary, but if we could stop hurting ourselves and each other because of our fear of death, death, I think that would be really, really good for humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we yeah. haven't handled. We just don't handle death well. And it's no. really, it's like you said before, and I want to reiterate this, not to be weird or anything, but I've got some stuff that I want to do before I go, but I am not afraid to go and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it, you know, should, yeah, it, should, it should be, be like that. The next stop on the, you know, next next part of the journey, you know, I've learned so much here. What do I get to do next? You know, and that's how I feel about it. But, you know, everybody doesn't feel that way. And it takes time. Like you said, everybody's on a different level learning as they learn. And the best we can do is be the lights that help raise that vibration. Yeah. And I think the afterlife stories that talk about the, the wonder and beauty of the experience experience are things that can give us hope too. Yes, exactly. People who say they've seen angels, people who say they've seen Jesus and heaven and what it's yeah. like. Yeah, that's yeah. true. What do you want to leave us with today, Miss Murray? Honestly, just, you know, you turn on the news and it's always somebody trying to hurt or kill somebody. Yeah. And yeah. Think that um, humanity needs to come to a new understanding of, of respect for life but also respect for death. So anything I can write and put out there that helps that. And again, it's not rock bottom proof that everything I'm saying is right, but a lot of people have had the same experiences and there's something to be said for that. I agree. What a great book. The Afterlife book, you guys. Heaven, Hell, and Life After Death. It's by Marie D. Jones and Larry Flaxman. And this is what it looks like if you're watching me on YouTube today. I'm just so thrilled you came. Thank you for coming on the show. Oh, of course. We will do it again. (laughs) All right. Sounds fantastic. All right, you guys, we get out of here for today. If you want an angel reading, go to my website, nancyyearout.com. I am a little booked for the next couple of weeks, but you can get on my calendar. And um, gosh, all the shows are up there. All the podcasts are up there. If you want to listen instead of watch, whatever you want to do. I've got some um, messages from Archangel Gabriel up there. And of course, my blog. So check that out. Marie, thanks again. Thank you so much. Always a blast. 
It's fun. All right, you guys have a terrific week. Everyone take care and God bless. Okay.